Okay, we have a special treat for you this morning. We have our youth pastor, Pastor Matt. Pastor Matt's going to come out, and he's brought his best friend. Look at that. He's brought his best friend. He knows how I love dogs, and so he thought, come on, bring that dog with him out today. So uh, here he is, Matt Komar. Matt uh, just has wonderful things going on downstairs in the 930 Club, about 60 teenagers down there. Uh, every Sunday, they got their Sometimes. own band, and they got their own video screens, and he said it's so awesome that he felt like he should come up here and speak sometime. <laughs> he wanted Easter, but we gave him Palm Sunday instead. Here you are, big guy. So, Matt Comar, everybody, thank you very much. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Um, okay, who was around for the Good Life series? Anybody be a part of that? Well, got some hands. Who loved the Good Life series? Who thought that Good Life series was? <laughs> was just amazing. It was just awesome. Uh, I did. And I want to bring it back for one more week. It officially, it officially ended last week. This study we've been going through on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, we ended it. But you know what? Um, after, at the end of last week, I was starting to think about Palm Sunday, and I came out back and I actually saw this in the dumpster. So I thought, oh, oh, that's what happens? The Good Life series ends and just goes in a dumpster? That is not right. You know what else isn't right? We actually missed a week of the Good Life series. You guys remember that? We lost one to snow. That's not right either. So I thought, hey, uh, it's Palm Sunday. We are going to basically have a very simple message about something we see in the, in the Palm Sunday narrative, uh, a very simple message about something we notice about what's in Jesus's heart, something we notice about what is at the forefront of his mind and it is in his heart for, for us through the Palm Sunday message. But I thought we could just maybe tap back into the Good Life series for a brief minute. Who's with me? Come on, let's go back to that Good Life Sermon on the Mount. Because you know what? Actually, we didn't, we didn't talk about the very last words of that sermon and I thought that wasn't good either either. So, so here we go. We're going we're gonna to jump right into it. So let's start with a prayer and then, and then go forward. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for the sunshine that's slowly warming us up. Um, we just ask this morning that uh, by your spirit, something um, we, would, we would be able to see a truth that would come alive to us and, and that you would, you would help us um, know you in a new way or just see something that would, that would matter. In your name, amen. So Jesus ends uh, very, his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with some very famous words, right? Some of you may be familiar with them. Uh, even if you haven't grown up in church or you, you don't really know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, you might have heard something along these lines before. A lot of, a lot of stuff ends up finding its way into you know, common, common language. But he ends with the parable of the two foundations. And this is in Matthew 7. Jesus says this. This very end of everything he's ever, all he, not everything he's ever said, everything he's just said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. In other words, listen, if you've heard everything I just said, everything I just preached to you, uh, and you put them into action, you will experience something incredibly powerful you will experience the power of a firm foundation. And he goes on to say about this wise man who built his house on a rock. 
He says, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and burst against that house, or some translations say slammed against that house. And I just love the picture that, that puts into my head. This is not, you know, like a typical just fall thunderstorm, but Jesus is painting the picture of hurricane force storms. I mean, there was weather slamming against this house. And he says this, uh, it, it, I'm sorry, burst against the house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. And just a very simple question, um, but it's this, what is it like to live inside that house? What is it like to live inside that house, right? When outside you have a myriad of things slamming against it, right? And a whole lot of noise is happening and a whole lot of drama is happening and you've got things just slamming against the house and you're inside. How are you feeling in that house? Yeah. What's amazing about this is the house is built on its firm foundation. What it does is it, it provides for us peace. It gives us the opportunity to have a spirit that is quiet and composed, a chance to even know tranquility in the midst of the fiercest storm. Jesus goes on to say, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. And my question is the same. What's it like to live inside of that house? What's it like to live in a house where you're just not sure. You're just not sure. Well, I mean, I let my imagination wander and I don't even think it would take an actual storm for me to start feeling anxious in that house. I'd be looking, I would be looking at the forecast, the 10-day forecast, and on nine days out, I see a storm coming and how am I feeling living in that house? I'm already feeling anxious. I'm already feeling like, man, something is coming for my house and I don't know if it will stand and I don't know if it will make it. There's fear and there's anxiety in that house. And basically all that to say this, at the end of Jesus' most famous sermon, all right, what he's doing is he's painting a picture for something that he desperately desires for us and that's peace. And that's peace. And not just peace that we can understand, but peace that goes beyond that. Peace that is supernatural, peace, peace that is sublime. Now, fast forward two plus years later, and here we are on Palm Sunday. And, and interestingly enough, what's on the forefront of Jesus' mind, what's, 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 what's heavy on his heart, is the very same thing that he ended his sermon on the mouse, uh, sermon on the mount with, and that's this. This is our peace. See, we, we know the Palm Sunday, some of us know the Palm Sunday story, right? And we remember it for the palm branches. And we remember it for the coats being torn off and laid on the road so that Jesus on his famous donkey ride, right, will have this, this red carpet, if you will, rolled out for his grand entry as he is announcing his kingship, right? And we remember all that. We, we remember there being so much praise being thrown at Jesus on this day, this Palm Sunday day, right? So much praise that the people who hated him most are conceding. The whole world is going after him. As, as John tells us, 
They said, we're, this is doing no good. The whole world has gone after him. And with their t- they, they tried to shut it down. The whole city's coming out to meet Jesus. A whole countryside is following Jesus in to the city for Passover. And they don't like, the Pharisees don't like it, right? They're like bridezilla, Passover week, right? The end of the week is, is Easter, right? Their, their big day is coming for the Pharisees, right? The ones who control this big event, this Passover, you got all kinds of money flooding into the city. You got everything needs to be just right. This is their time. They're like Bridezilla this week and somebody's messing it up. Jesus is messing up their big week, their big day. And they try to shut it down. We remember Jesus' famous words in this scene. The Pharisees come at Jesus. They say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. This is not right. And Jesus says, Look, hey, I tell, I've got to tell you. If they stop, the stones will cry out. And, and a lot of us, we think curtain closed, scene over, Jesus wins, victory. Like, yeah, that's my Jesus, right? That's my man, that big, that big power statement. Love that. Sorry. I thought maybe they put a funny picture on the screen or something. Scene over, Jesus wins. Entry completed. It was triumphant, triumphant entry. But in fact, we forget that amidst all the praise and all the worship being thrown at his feet, Jesus rounds the corner to Jerusalem and he looks at the city and what he sees actually breaks his heart. And Jesus on Palm Sunday is weeping and he tells us why. Luke tells us in his account Uh, He says this, that when Jesus approached, he saw the city and he wept over it saying, if you had only known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. Again, what is Jesus, what is he going after? This is huge. And it's actually, this is such a surprise ending to the Palm Sunday narrative. Because on the surface, Jesus should be the happiest man in the world. On the surface, everything is according to maybe what he would, we would think he would want, right? Everybody is being drawn to him. But Jesus is saying, everybody is missing it. On one, on, you know, you look at it one way, it's like everybody's got their eyes fixed on Jesus. Well, according to Jesus, nobody has their eyes fixed on him. According to Jesus, according to Jesus nobody has their eyes fixed on what will really bring them peace. And it breaks his heart. Well, we look into it a little bit and it makes sense. I, I, I feel like if we, if we look beneath the surface, we can understand what Jesus is talking about. Because we know this about the Palm Sunday narrative. There were basically two groups of people that were praising him that day, okay? There was a group of people that started with him out in Bethany, a little suburb town, right? A town where Jesus performed one of his most amazing miracles, raising a man named Lazarus from the dead, who he'd been dead four days, I think. Four days, Bible scholars. Was Lazarus dead four days? Four, Parker's here. You know, okay, four days, he, he rose a man. For, I have peace in my heart because he's my go-to. He raises a man from the dead who had been dead for four days, right? And everybody knows about this and everybody loves this because this is like the power. Can you believe the power that we've seen? Raising a man from the dead who's been dead for it. And so, so anyways, they trailed Jesus into the city from Bethany, 
right? And actually Luke tells us very specifically that that is why they are praising Jesus. They are praising him for the miracles which they had seen. Then we have a whole other group of people praising Jesus, a group of people that started in Jerusalem and came out to meet him. They heard he was coming. They said, we got to go see this guy. We got to go meet this guy. We've heard a lot about this guy. And actually, we've, we've, some of us were pilgrims from the countryside. We got here early for Passover so we could get all cleaned up and participate properly, right? But they've heard a lot about Jesus. And there's evidence in the text that leads us to believe that they were praising Jesus for one thing only. And it's because they, were, they believed he was the one who was going to free them from the oppressive rule of Rome, they sang Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is a term that means save now. Palm branches, the palm branches they waved and laid at his feet. We know historically that at that point in time, the palm branches had become a symbol of nationalism for the people. They thought he was going to rescue them from Rome. They, will, they also were drawn to his power. And so we might be able to understand how Jesus felt when on one hand, it seems like, man, this whole city is coming after me. But really, he's saying, nobody's really coming after me. They're coming after what I have to offer them. And it broke his heart. Because at the core of this is Jesus's desire for a relationship with us. This is at the heart of all of this. Is Jesus knows that what will truly bring us peace is a restored relationship with him and the Father. A relationship we were created for and designed for. A relationship that was broken when we rejected God. That will, tr will truly bring us peace is to be remade into the image we were made to be, into his likeness, and have a restored relationship with him. And Jesus is saying, look, they're not after a relationship with me. They're after some kind of transaction. Some kind of interpersonal transaction. And come on, let's be honest. Look, that cuts me to the core because that can define my relationship with God so often. Am I really after him or am I after some kind of interpersonal transaction? Because, because at the core, what I believe will bring me peace is a change in my circumstance. At the core of what I believe will bring me peace is if, if God makes this better or that better, and my circumstance changes and I'll have peace. This is what Jesus experienced on Palm Sunday. A people who had staked their hope in peace on the shifting sands of circumstance. Jesus wants so much more for us than that. He wants us to know a peace that is not just maybe a temporary, I feel better because my circumstance changed. Look, we know all kinds of, we know all kinds of peace uh, that we can explain. There are, all kinds, there are all kinds of peace that we can explain. The peace we feel on vacation, that makes sense to us because we're just disconnected from our worries, right? So that kind of peace makes sense to us. The kind of peace we experience in a workout class, that makes sense to us because we've got all kinds of endorphins flying around our brains, right? We're pumping the iron, we're doing our stretch, whatever. We're in the zone, right? And if we're in that zone, which means I'm not in the other zone, it's causing me all kinds of stress, I'm in the zone of my workout, which means I can forget about all those storms that are slamming against my house, right? That I'm freaking out about because I'm not sure about my foundation. We understand that kind of peace. We understand that kind of peace. Don't get mad. The kind of peace 
when we get home, we're like, I just need my glass of wine. I know. You mean that glass of wine? Some people like, preacher man, don't come for my glass of wine. Leave my glass of wine alone. It brings me peace. It, br- it does bring me peace. No, but listen, it's not, about, it's not about that. It's about this. It's about, it's about the fact that we actually, we understand that peace. And what Jesus wants for us is he wants, he wants a peace that we can't even explain. He wants for us to experience this sublime tranquility, this harmony in our spirit that we can't explain amidst whatever storm we're going through. That's what Jesus' desire is for us. And he knows that it comes through a relationship with him. But instead, what he got when he got to Jerusalem was, was a bunch of people that are kind of grabbing at him. What can we get from you? What can we get from, what, what can you offer us, right? And so this amazing picture popped into my head that described, um, well, let me get there in a minute, but picture this, picture Jerusalem. This is what broke Jesus' heart. Because all he wanted was, he wanted his people that he loved so much to just be satisfied with who he was in his presence, Right? But what he got was, what he got was an infant who is still nursing, has not yet been weaned. He got an infant, picture this, like basically the way an infant sits on a mother's lap who hasn't been weaned, right? Picture that. You take a baby, they're still nursing, they haven't been weaned yet. You put them on a mother's lap, what are they going to do? They're going to free, are they going to be calm? Are they going to be relaxed? Just enjoy, be satisfied in the presence of the mother? No, I want something from that mom. I want something from my mother. I'm going to root around. I'm, she's got something to offer me. I'm going to... Okay, some mothers who have been through this are laughing. Appreciate that. It's connecting with a few of you. The reason why I'm bringing this metaphor up will make sense in a minute. Okay. But look, this, Jesus, Jesus gets a city full of people that are like infants rooting around for something that mom has to offer, right? And can't just relax in the presence of the one who loves him more than anything else in the world. I think of this because, because actually Jesus' desire for us, what he most wants, the way he wants us to experience him is almost perfectly described in, in, in a Psalm of David, Psalm 131. And I wanna read it to you because Actually, I want to read it to you, and I want to challenge you all to memorize it, okay? You, you, there's going to be two challenges this week. The first one is memorize Psalm 131. It's only three verses. It's only three verses, and I'm going to tell you this. In the midst of a storm, it's going to give you peace. So there's challenge number one. Let's, let's, let's read this psalm. Psalm goes like this. This is David praying. He says, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. And I do not go after things too great and difficult for me. First of all, right there, he's, deal, he's dealt with two things that disrupt our peace, our pride and, our, and our, the way we compare ourselves to others. Those things are gonna disrupt our peace every, all the time. He's dealt with them. He said, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. And I do not go after things that are too great for me. He's giving control. He said, I'm not gonna try to control the things I can't control. And here it is. Here's the picture that, that I think Jesus desires to see in all of us as his children. He says, he says, like a weaned child on his mother, like a weaned child, my soul rests on me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. And here, look, it's important to remember this. David is, David is praying these words in the midst of his kingship. This David's not like on Club Med 
disconnected from all his worries. David is, is king, which means there is a constant assault on his house, a constant assault on his peace. And he's saying, this is who I am before you. I'm satisfied in your presence. I can sum this message up very simply, and it's this. What God has this great desire for us to have a relationship with him where we're satisfied in the presence of who he is. Oftentimes we get caught up in the day-to-day transactional, interpersonal transaction with God and we miss out on the things that will truly bring us peace. So I'm gonna say two things in closing. One thing and then we're gonna sing a final song together. Um, Here's the challenge this week. In your prayer time, when you go before God, put, put your requests on hold. Just, just hold off on the requests. And not because they're bad. Jesus, he wants us to come to him with everything we need. He always wants us to come to him first, right? He tells parables about this, the persistent widow. Keep coming to me. Come to me for what you need. But, but, just as a, as a challenge, so we don't get caught up in this cycle of just a merely transactional relationship with Jesus. He says, let's put those on hold. It's not, it's not bad to go to his hand, but let's just seek his face first. I started, I started kicking around ideas for uh, this Palm Sunday message about a week ago. And, and I had this, this morning where I came in, I got to the office, I sat down and I, I wanted to kind of a, get after some things that I, I, I was a little bit anxious about. I didn't feel like I, I had a good handle on what I needed to do. And, uh, and, and I'm a prayer journaler. I've got my notebook and I like to write my prayers. Um, and so I sat down and I'd already been kicking, kicking around this whole Palm Sunday thing. I felt like God was kind of speaking this thing where it's like, hey, notice how, notice how they're missing out because they're just drawn to my hand and not my face. Notice how they're missing out because they're, they're drawn to what I can do for them, but just not me, myself. And so I started my prayer, and interestingly enough, my, prayer, my, my opening line was, Lord, Lord, help me. I feel like I needed his help. Three words, and God stopped me. He says, hey, there you go, Komar. You're seeking my hand. You're seeking my help, but hey, I just want you. I know you're anxious about a couple things. I want you to seek my face. And the truth is, I asked for the Lord's help because I was anxious. But the, but the other truth is, I asked for his help because I thought that's what would help cure my anxiety. Just change my circumstance, Lord. Give me some kind of answer on this and my anxiety will go away. But I forgot that anxiety, anxiety is not an issue of circumstance. It's an issue in here. God said, just seek my face. So I did. So my prayer changed. And I, and I thought I'd just share a little bit with you because this is what it sounded like for me just to, just to kind of seek his face, just be in his presence, just be satisfied in who he is. So I turned the page and I started a whole new prayer. And I said, okay, good morning, Father. Good morning, light and life, my source, deliverer, redeemer. Good morning, provider, almighty, magnificent healer. Good morning, grace and mercy. Good morning, love and truth. And, and my prayer went on, but basically I just like just wanted to spend time before who he was. And what happened was 
and this was the amazing part, is just peace started just flooding into my heart. And the things that I was anxious about, I was no longer. I felt like I was standing on firm ground. In his presence, in the presence of his face, I felt like I was on firm ground. It wasn't an answer to prayer that cured my anxiety. It was just seeking his face. And that's my challenge to you this week. Look, we're, I asked the music team to come up and close with a song. The key lyric of this song is this. When all we want and all we need is, is found in you. Right? Because this is what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be satisfied. He wants us, he wants us to be satisfied in who he is. Because that's where we find peace. Pray with me, please. Father, I just want to thank you and praise you for your love of me. A love that I do not deserve and a love that I could not earn. And God, I confess that my love for you falls short. So terribly short. God, I don't love you the way you love me all the time. And God, this morning, I just want to ask your help with that. God, continue to work in me a spirit that loves you back, that loves you the way you love me. And God, give me a spirit that is satisfied, not in what you have to offer me, but in who you are. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.